not all superheroes wear capes. Some just wear indestructible exoskeletons. There aren't too many immortal, invincible creatures on this good green earth, but one of them is an adorable little microorganism. And he lives in your backyard. Don't miss this animal that brings a new definition to life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy, your 30 minutes of interesting animal info. Today, we're talking about uh, something that defies classification. Does it? But I don't defy classification because I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. <laughs> and I'm, forgive me, I'm a little stopped up. That's why well, my voice will be weird. I, I, I consider it to, uh, to defy classification when it requires its own phylum. Oh, because we can classify it right now. We can classify it. <laughs> this is life, death, and but, uh, taxonomy, but, so that we have to classify it. But I imagine when they first saw it, they were like, what is this? And they're like, and it, it looked back at them, and it says, I defy you. And they're like, all right. <laughs> like, fine, you're a tardigrade. And he, he and that, said that's insulting, <laughs> because it means slow stepper mm-hmm. in Latin. All right, let's or break this Italian. down. Kingdom. Animalia, as that is a given so far. <laughs> um, phylum, tardigrades or tar- tardigradus. I like that. Uh, Sounds more Latin. Class, there's a few different ones, mm-hmm. but heterotardigradia or tardigrada or mesotardigrada. But I, for I the have... interest of going all the way down to family, I'm going to talk about the eutardigrada. Is that eutardigrada? Eutardigrada. Order. Apocella, Apocella, Acapella, A P O C H E L A. Okay. Maybe it's Apocella. <laughs> no, it's probably a hard C H. And then family Mil Milnesilidae. Milnesilidae? No, 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 L. Mil Nesil Messi. It's two I's in a row. What am I supposed to do with e. that? E. Just make that E, right? M- Milnesilidae. Like Mil Milnesilidae. Okay. All right. What, what's the species? Uh, it has several. Well, this episode is mostly going to be about the entire phylum, yeah, yeah. which is crazy mm-hmm. that we would do an episode on an entire phylum. But these guys mostly look pretty similar. Yeah. But some species are, have different characteristics, obviously, that makes them different species. Right. But it, uh, there's a lot of facial differences. Really? For the most part, I saw they have like kind of like a... What what do they call it? Like a tubular? Yeah, it's look tubular, bro. They look like a robot. Their face, yeah. It's and it and it like can re, uh, uh, retract and like shoot out. So if if you haven't heard of a tardigrade before, aka space bear or mm-hmm. water bear, mm-hmm. go look up an, a picture under an electron microscope uh-huh. because these guys are pretty trippy, and so and you'll get get a better idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, they're pretty small. They are. About, they can range from uh, 0.3 millimeters to a whole whopping 1.5 millimeters. That is too big to handle. (laughs) (laughs) That's almost big enough to see without a microscope. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not microscopic. It is microscopic. Uh, Right? 1.5 millimeters is not microscopic. Oh, but the the first one is. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, I, I imagine, like, in order to know that it was there with the naked eye, you could see something that was 1.5 millimeters. So yeah. you would be able to say, like, there's a weird moving speck on my paper or yeah. whatever. But the smaller To know one, what it is, I guess. You would it have... depends on what microscopic. If you cannot see it at all with the naked eye, 
then it's not microscopic. If that's what microscopic is, most of them, or the the mean is like probably not microscopic. The mean of them you could see? Yeah. The well, mean, you don't need a very powerful microscope see. to see these guys in detail. That's right. And an electron microsco- microscope allows you to see... Microscope. Mi- it's a micro- Michael scope. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be my actor uh, pseudonym, Michael Scope. So let's talk about their description. Their original name was Kleiner Wasserbär. Wasserbär? Yeah. Uh, little water German. bear is what that means. What was the first word? Kle- Kleiner. Kleiner means little? Hmm. Sure. Um, In German? Yeah. Uh, little water bear because of the way it walks. It seems to lumber like a bear. It definitely, I, I get that. I see it. Uh, later it's called tardigrade, which means slow walker, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because when you look under a microscope, you usually see a lot of little doodads and uh, tiddly winks running around at the speed of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, those tiddly winks, man. <laughs> the, so the, I, I can't look into a microscope without seeing a tiddly wink moving at the speed of sound. Did <laughs> you see like tiny little pops? That's them breaking the sound barrier. Okay, uh, it gets no, out of hand. They're not real. <laughs> they're made of animal that we did. A tiddly wink, <laughs> um, or just bacteria and stuff that moves really quickly in bursts. Yeah, but these boys seem to lumber. They. Are more methodical in their movement. They're also not bacteria. They're right. multicellular. Yep. They are full-on animals. Which is why they have their own phylum, because they defy classification on all everything else, but they're not quite, they're not unicellular. Now, are, there, are, there, are they the smallest animal? What about zooplankton? I think those are single cellular, though. Zooplankton? Or, phytoplankton. Phytoplankton is it's, plants. Yeah, but that's like one cell i think but zooplankton is an animal plankton that fish eat so like i mean if it was as small as a tardigrade no fish is going to care about that maybe it is big zooplankton Uh, i bet you that that's uh big enough to see without a microscope most of them live in moss or moist leaves but they can live in sand dudes on the beach Mm -hmm. sand dudes sand dunes they can also probably live in sand dudes uh Whatever that is, a dude made out of sand. I guess if you made like a like kind of like a snowman, yeah. Instead, they're called sand dudes. I bet you there'd be tardigrades in there. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> they can live in dirt, but most of the time they like moist, leafy areas. They can also live in water. Like if you don't clean your gutter, that's a, that's a nice spot. They've been found in Antarctica and at the top of the Himalayas. I don't think they can. Can they live underwater? I thought they can be. Drowned. They're water bears. I thought they can be drowned. I don't think they. I think they. Don't not eat. easily, mind you. I think they can uh, get oxygen molecules out from water through huh. osmosis. Okay, because they can live in water. Hmm. <coughs> Most they don't need to though. They need water though. Right. Um, they need at least one molecule to hang on to. Uh, they can just hold it because they're small. I've, I ima- I seriously imagine them just like holding this little, but it's like a ball and sticks like you had when you make molecules. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> just like hanging on to it and just playing with it's it like, like it's ball. his precious. Um, so this mo- mo- the fact that they like moss gives them the name Moss Piglet, isn't <laughs> which is my favorite of their names. Um, they... Here's what they look like. They they're like little round oblong, like baby bodies. It's it's uh, like a caterpillar. Yeah, sort of. It's like a tiny caterpillar. Like a chubby. I said caterpillar. 
Caterpillar. Chubby short Calipillar. Calipillar. Caterpillar. I used <laughs> yeah. to say Calipillar when I was a kid. Calipillar? Mm-hmm. I can't even like wrap my brain around switching between those two quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have four sets of legs, and the back legs are inverted. <laughs> so Why? To grab on the stuff. Oh, okay. Why? The rest of it is just locomotion. Yeah. Like, what are they climbing over? Like, like leaves and stuff? I imagine they're climbing other molecules. over yeah, other very small things. <laughs> well, also, they got little claws on the ends of their short, stubby legs. They're bears, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're not actually bears. A class uh, Ursus or whatever. <laughs> Ugh. No, they're That'd not. be the most adorable. <laughs> <laughs> you just look in, and there's just a tiny, complete bear that's that big. Just like a sun bear. Now, do they have eyeballs? Did you know? I don't think so. Or like eye spots. I think they have, uh, they just run, walk until they run into things. But they, okay, so they have tubular mouths mm-hmm. and they can like shoot out and retract like a toy lightsaber. Okay. Know? So I've seen animations where they shoot it out and eat a little particle and suck it back in. How do they know the particle's there? So maybe they like run into it, they back up, and then they shoot it out. I don't know. I or maybe think... they can sense like pressure changes in the water medium that they're hanging out in. Or it doesn't look like they have eyes, and I didn't read anything that they could see. That's having eyes is a really complicated thing that I don't think that this it's very true. tiny thing would be able to. They handle. don't have. They have a digestive system, but they don't have blood or a heart. Plus, they would they would need eyes that look like bug eyes that covered most of their head because they're so small that the the wavelengths of light wouldn't be most wavelengths wouldn't even reach them they might be able to if they had eyes they could see vague shadows maybe but they would need really complex eyes like a bug in order to see being that small i didn't read if they had a central nervous system they They do have a nervous system yeah, they have yeah, a brain. A little have, tiny brain. That's that's uh, bilateral, just like ours. So it's not impossible for them to have eyeballs. Or and, eye and, spots. Unless they don't. <laughs> eye spots. It's probably more going to be an eye spot because it's a simple version. Just like a, a hole for light to go into. Yeah. Or, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, it's dark here. It's light here. It's dangerous. I imagine that they react to light. You yeah. can shine a light and they'll be like, I'm going there. Or I'm going away from or it. the whole world see. Tubular mouths. Squirt them out. This is how they reproduce. Some of them reproduce with parthenogenesis, which is laying an egg and letting it hatch. There's no fertilization. So it's asexual reproduction. See, when I think of asexual reproduction, I think, think of, of budding. I think of budding like a sponge does. No, uh, you can bud. You can do this. Par- this is another way. Jellyfish also reproduce asexually. A lot of them do. And then starfish, don't they? Like, that's not budding. It's something else, but it's similar. Where if they an arm gets cut off, I mean, lizards do that too with their tails. No, another t- no, they don't. L- you can cut off a tail a lizard's tail; it'll grow back. Oh no, no, no! I'm talking about you cut off a piece of something and then two grow. Oh, I see what you're talking about. I thought you meant it was it would it's grow. Like back. there's a lizard that can like grow a whole body. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So you cut off a, a starfish's arm, and then that become that arm becomes a starfish, and then the starfish grows another arm. Yes, so you have two complete starfish after that. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I guess each arm is complex enough to to do that, and it's just a it's just a s- symmetric thing yeah. where each each thing is individual rather than one whole. And then octopuses can eat their own arms. Isn't that nuts? It's like I didn't know that. Whatever they'll cut it off and eat it, even like during times of starvation. 
Huh. That would be convenient. <laughs> I mean, it would For hurt. survival. Yeah. Well, if we did it, you it, could, would, it, would, it would hurt and it would be gross. If I mean, if you could, it would be convenient to be able to grow that stuff back. Because you can eat your arm. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you from that. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, why don't people do that? Because <laughs> then they're going to run out of arms. People die in a starvation and eat your arms. Oh, my gosh. I'm, th- I'm thinking about, like, in if you're, like, plane crash in the in the Alps. Nobody ever eats their arms. They eat other people's arms. Yeah. I guess that is preferable. Yeah. That's... <laughs> anyway. Oh, macabre. Anyway, so that's that's what that's that. Nothing else really interesting about them. Yeah, uh-uh. so that pretty much wraps up this episode, except <laughs> here is the most interesting part about these animals. They are the most resilient animals on the planet. When I say resilient, I mean that... Emotionally? Yeah. You could develop a really close relationship and then betray them or just break it off and just suddenly like, with, the, with a text. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll just go just on living their lives. with tiny smartphones. They're very in the now. <laughs> so they don't care about the past. They don't care about the future. You know what those would be called? Single cell phones. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> I just didn't want to laugh directly into the microphone, but I like single cell phones. <laughs> Um, especially because now you're single and so is the tardigrade. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because we broke it off via single cell phone. So this works on three different levels. <laughs> um, but, yeah, these guys are very resilient physically. I don't know about their emotional state. I haven't talked to one. <laughs> but apparently there's a long history of actively trying to kill tardigrades. And not doing well. And Yeah, and failing at it. <laughs> Although, like, a lot of the times you put a group of tardigrades into a situation and then some of them survive, which leads to, hey, these guys can survive this. But True. most of them usually die. But still. But it's not like, oh, we, we, we took a candle and we waved it over them a little bit. It's way more intense than that. Right. So here are some of the situations that they can survive. They've been brought down to one Kelvin, which is one Kelvin degree, not, not a degree, it's just one Kelvin above absolute zero, meaning zero molecular movement. I mean, we currently, there's a lot of molecular movement going on in our bodies, in the the wall, in the s- sky. <laughs> a lot of molecular movement going on. How do on. they do that? I have no idea how you bring something to absolute zero. And they can't. you can't bring something to absolute zero. We have no example of that on Earth. Okay. Meaning that, I mean, just air. Air, the movement of air makes it not absolute zero automatically because that means... Air molecules are moving. So these guys can be brought to one Kelvin, which means almost nothing is moving. So we don't know if they can be brought to absolute zero and survive. Right. But they can be brought to one and survive for about, I think, 10 minutes. So absolute zero, or one Kelvin, is equal to negative 458 degrees Fahrenheit. Fun. And for all you people who use the metric system, for good reason, (laughs) um, it's negative 272 degrees Celsius. And so that's the low end. Low temperatures. Uh, on the high end, they can survive up to 420 Kelvin, which is it's pretty hot. It's 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Absolute hero. Because <laughs> that's the opposite of zero, according to, according to uh, Hercules. Hercules. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so from absolute zero to almost absolute zero to almost absolute hero, uh, they make it to 300 degrees Fahrenheit, which is far past the boiling point of water. But not quite hot enough to cook a potato. Because it's 375 degrees. You've got okay. to preheat the oven to that much. So they'd probably die 
in your oven if you were cooking a potato next to it. Um, (laughs) But they probably survive in a a microwave for a while. Yeah, Um, because they can take irradiation too. Right. And also, I just realized we radiate our food. Yeah. We send microwaves. (laughs) Yeah. Electromagnetic spectrum microwaves through our food to polarize the water molecules Uh and get things moving. That isn't... How are we not all dead? We're dying. <laughs> it's true. It's all because of microwaves uh-huh. that we're dying. Well, they kill us, but they just kill us after like 95 years. Okay. <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, 300 degrees Fahrenheit is equivalent to 150 degrees Celsius. And so that's the temperature spectrum. On the pressure spectrum, they can survive super, super high pressures. I've read up to 6,000 atmospheric pressures for some species. The av- so if you sit on a pile of leaves, don't worry about it. Yeah, you're, they're, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, because down at the Mariana Trench, the deepest place in the world, the place that's closest to... Emotionally? the c- Closest to the core of the earth emotionally. <laughs> closest to the, the mantle. Um, that's about 1,200 atmospheric pressures of water. Uh, crushing these things and they're they're great under pressure yeah they can react really quickly (laughs) even though they're called slow steppers (laughs) um and an interesting thing about things that that live under pressure is that you can if you try to take them out of this high pressure scenario they explode because they're super dense and they just expand until they yeah until their skin can't hold it anymore and they explode that's incredible so if you took them if you move them up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Maybe little if we did it over the course of years. or you maybe have a, a giant one? Yeah. I mean, no, I'm talking about the things that live down there. Oh, other things. Yeah. Okay. Um, because tardigrades can survive under that, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that they're not extremophiles. Meaning, an extremophile loves these extreme circumstances, hence extremophile. And so they thrive under these scenarios, like tube worms, those crabs that live at the bottom of the ocean, and those all those crazy things. They, they, In fact, they only survive in these extreme circumstances, where tardigrades, their chances of survival go down significantly when they're put in these situations. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, not considered extremophilic. Right, so you, you, know, you can put a tardigrade under you know, 6,000 atmospheric that's, pressures. That's in a way, more incredible. Because those guys need that, right? Mm-hmm. Those people that live like down those, by the like those people, those 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 dudes, the like the <laughs> ones that like there's crabs and uh, tube worms that live in uh, like thermal vents, yeah, or around thermal vents. And then when the thermal vent goes away, they they die. They die. So they need incredible, I- intense situations to survive. They're Whereas dependent these on boys, those. they don't need that, but they can take it. Almost some of them can take it. Yeah. So when, I don't know if I said this earlier, but when I say that these guys can survive these situations, it means that some of them survive. Some of them can, yeah, you said it. So, yeah, extremely high-pressure scenarios. They can also survive extremely low-pressure scenarios. What would be a good example of a low-pressure scenario, Joe? Like sitting around on the couch, you don't have anything to do that day. Like you don't even, you can't even choose Netflix options. no. It's just low pressure. Somebody is like, um, let's let's watch Arthur. And you're like, I guess. And you watch I, Arthur. I guess no pressure, bro. <laughs> it's either that or the vacuum of space. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. That's another low pressure yeah. scenario, mm-hmm. I would say. High pressure, like, stress-wise, but low pressure when it comes to physics. Unless you're a tardigrade. Still low pressure scenario. <laughs> so there was a project where it was a bio project when it comes to things surviving in space. Bacteria, viruses, things like that. Tardigrades were involved in that, 
and exposed to the vacuum of space and solar radiation for 10 straight days. And 68% of them died, which is a lot less than you'd expect. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you did that to, like, a wren or something, <laughs> like, 100% dead. 100% would die. <laughs> Just upon being released in the atmosphere, a basket like a, of golden retrievers. Oh my 100%. gosh, I wasn't going to go there. That is um, that's the saddest thing ever. I was thinking of something worse. Uh, Humans? <laughs> exposed to the vacuum of space? 100%. 100% they can survive out there even without tiny little spacesuits. <laughs> what? Which I was is, assuming they were just, these scientists were just looking for tiny animals that could fit inside tiny spacesuits. Uh-huh. But no, it's just like... No, they're just like... We full can... Arnold from... Uh, from Magic School Bus? They can... Tardigrades can survive extremely high pressures extremely low pressures. They can also survive radiation, which I said earlier, they're exposed to solar radiation. Now, down here, we're protected from a lot of solar radiation, a lot of UV, gamma, ultraviolet rays. I said UV and ultraviolet. Because of my sunglasses and the atmosphere. Because of, mostly because of the atmosphere. (laughs) Um, But then out there in space, you're just, it's just pure, pure sun is hitting you. Um, and these guys can take it for 10 days, which is an alarming amount of radiation. They can survive 6,200 grays of gamma radiation, which may not mean anything to you until I say that we can survive five. Gamma rays? A gra- grays of gamma ra- radiation. They're called grays? Mm-hmm. That's neat. It's uh, one joule How many until ra- I turn into the Hulk? Uh, zero, because you'd, just, you'd be dead way before then. <laughs> It's uh, a gray is one joule, which is how you measure energy of, of radiation energy. Mm-hmm. And success during Valentine's Day. A, ju- a joule. <laughs> <laughs> I got one joule. Success. <laughs> <laughs> That's what women like. They like jewels. Right. Of like, energy. <laughs> yeah. It means you put energy into your relationship. Exactly. Yes. Effort. So the question is, how do these little guys survive all this? Do we not know? We do know a little bit. A little bit? Because we know what, why these things would kill us and other animals. Mm -hmm. And so what we lack that they have is something called D-SUP. D-SUP, bro. Um, It's called... That sounds like one of those things where I say, I don't know. And you say, I don't know. D-SUP with you or something like that. Like up dog. Oh, Sounds oh like yeah. you're tricking me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not tricking you. It's short for damage suppressor, which okay. sounds like something that you put into your exosuit when you're playing a video game. Uh-huh. But no, it's it's a protein that attaches to their DNA, and it allows them to rebuild their DNA really quickly. And um, it also protect it like lines their cells. So it's like Wolverine. Yeah. They do repair really fast. So one of the problems with radiation is that it breaks apart your DNA, mm-hmm. which there's no coming back from. And uh, one of the problems with being really, really, really hot is the fact that eventually your DNA begins to break up and your the molecules in your DNA start to vibrate enough to break apart. But for the tardigrade, it says, oh, hold on, let's keep let's keep these pieces. Keep it together, s- man. Stick them back together like Lincoln Hold, logs. brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's how they survive, like, the, the, the radiation and the high temperatures, but they also have go into something called cryptobiosis, which is something that we can only ever hope to do. So they they will ball up into this ball, Uh uh, much like a, like a millipede will do if you, if you tap it and it'll hold all of the water that it has 
into this one tiny area in the middle. These uh, little water molecules with the sticks and yeah. the balls. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of just kind of play with it until the in, until they're rehydrated. <laughs> so this allow them to survive situations where there's no water. This is called anhydrosis. So cryptobiosis co- is in multiple forms. Anhydrosis means there's no water, and so they ball up and they take what water they have and they kind of just hang on to it, mm-hmm. and um, they can survive for a long time that way. Also, there's cryobiosis, which you can probably guess what that means. Too much water. No, low temperatures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like cryo sleep. Well, that's that's not the opposite of no water. <laughs> right. So you tricked this me. Is another... I knew it was a trick. <laughs> I'm trying to help you here. <laughs> cryo, like cryo sleep. I get it. Right. Yeah. So they're, when it's really, 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 really cold, like at the top of the Himalayas or in Antarctica or in space, mm-hmm. they ball up and they can survive. But they're not really sure exactly how this is done, how they maintain a semblance of heat, and how they bring it back after they've lost all their heat, almost all of it, all but one Kelvin. Yuck, man. That sounds uncomfortable. It does It does sound uncomfortable. <laughs> and there's anoxybiosis, which anoxybiosis is no oxygen situation. So they can yeah. live without oxygen. So this... All these three things put together lets them survive in the vacuum of space. No water, no oxygen, and uh, very, very low temperatures. And when they're in this balled-up state, they're called a ton. T-U-N, or toon. I don't know what you... I'd say ton, because toon has an E at the end. This, like, and bun is... Yeah. Yeah, so ton. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, this this is basically how they survive. And in a lot of situations, they can survive up to 30 years this way. So these are, like... But they're in stasis. They're basically, they're not doing anything. Right. They're basically. So, which is why they're not fo- extremophiles. Right. Because in these extreme situations, they're not like having a great time. They're basically dead. They're, yeah. They're like in a stasis. Mm-hmm. But so, I don't get how they like go without nourishment. They have like that. They slow their metabolism to 0.01%. I guess. This time. I guess a tiny little thing like that doesn't need a lot of cheeseburgers either. Nope. It, it probably like, all right, I'm about to go into this huge thing. Let me eat this one giant particle that I found. And, I mean, I'm good for the next 40 years or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I could eat, but. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they're, they're bears. So they look like little fat things. So I wonder if they lose a lot of weight when they're. I don't there. know. I think all of their cells touch the outside. Oxygen is exposed to all of their cells. Which is why they don't need blood. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about that. Because blood's primary purpose is to, oxygen, is to move oxygen cells. Yeah, to your muscles and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but if they absorb oxygen and all of their cells already have it, then they don't need to circulate it. Something that big doesn't need a circulatory system. I don't think anything that big has a circulatory or system. Or that small is another way to say that. Either way, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, big for a second. I could say like you're this big and make a very and hold my fingers really close together. But that's wrong. I'm much bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, that brings up like a lot of interesting thoughts. Well, the fact that they one can... meaning me being how do they get something to one Kelvin? How do they expose these to space without them like flying out of the test tubes? You know, like in in what. It, how do they do it? Like, did they put them in, like, a little Petri dish and, like, float them out there? How did the tardigrades not float away? 
I have no idea. I imagine it was some sort of like capsule that was not uh, airtight. That was not airtight. But they're so small; they would just slip out of any any <laughs> hole. I don't know. Like that's. I imagine you could probably make something that let in and out air, um, but wouldn't do that for a, a tardigrade because they're not. I mean, they're small, but they're not super small. They're that's not, true. They're not molecular or cellular. They are cellular. They're not. They're multicellular. But so the question is. Did they come from space? Oh, that's right. <laughs> because they're the only animal that can uh, survive in space, mm-hmm. there's the a common theory that they... Hitched came- right on an asteroid and uh, came to Earth like some sort of s- venom symbiote. Or like some sort of Kryptonian. Mm-hmm. Um, they're baby Superman. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> they really are like superheroes. The idea behind that, they can survive high temperatures, but they can't survive being on fire. Because you can make something really hot and not have fire at all. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that they would burn up in the atmosphere no matter what. Unless they were encased in the ice of a comet that made it all the way to Earth. That's interesting to think about. Because you always think about fire kills you because it's too hot. But really, it's because the fire is consuming you for fuel if you're on fire. Right. So, I mean, you would die if it was that hot, but something could survive. Like, orange fire is not that hot when you compare it to, you know, 420 degrees Kelvin. Uh-huh. Um, actually, no. It's not that hot when you compare it to, like, the surface of the sun. 420 degrees Kelvin is actually not that not that hot compared to a lot of things, like magma and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but... The f- fire is the, is the chemical process of turning matter into energy, turning fuel like matter as fuel and, and turning it into thermal energy, mm-hmm. which these tardigrades cannot survive. But they can survive just the atmosphere being that hot. You, you really have to separate fire from heat. Fire produces heat, but it is not heat mm-hmm. by itself. So I don't really subscribe to the idea that they came from space. Some people think that they could survive a trip to another planet. Like on a comet or something like that. Well, they they were exposed to radiate the pure radiation of the sun and the vacuum of space for ten days, and sixty eight percent of the sample died. Mm-hmm. So if they had, if they were going to make the trip from Mars to here in what it, probably ten years, maybe. Um, I feel like most of them, they would all be dead by then. Yeah, plus, I think maybe if you expose them to the vacuum of space for twenty days, they would all die. Plus the idea that a, a rock picks up tardigrades. And hits another planet, ridiculous. The yeah, we, we were by talking, accident. We were talking about this earlier that the the chances of something coming from Earth randomly and hitting another planet in our solar solar system are literally astronomical. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these things, these planets are moving very fast, and they're also really small when you compare it to space. Yeah, there's a lot of space. Like when you put it together, like tennis ball and like the golf ball. To make your like solar system in school, you need a gymnasium for the, for the scale. <laughs> uh, yeah, and these things are really far apart. And I almost said that most of space is nothing, but apparently most of space is dark matter. But we don't know what that is yet. So, <laughs> but we know we can say that most of it is that, right? Which is annoying to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's what we got I on tardigrades. Uh, based, and they're everywhere. There's so many of them. You take, you, you can go to pretty much any park, find some moss, or find moss that's not in a park. Do whatever you want. 
and clean out the gutter. Uh, and you'll you'll most likely find tardigrades. They're all over the planet. I mean, they might be in your house right now. <gasps> they probably are in your house right now. They're so small you won't see them, and they're also practically indestructible. Although I imagine you could squish one. Just like cockroaches can survive a lot of things, you can still just step on it and kill it. Just impact, really. So these guys are pretty cool. They're oh, definitely congrats. one of the coolest animals out there. So that's all we got on tardigrades. Um, thanks for listening. If you want to get in contact with us, you can visit us on Facebook. We now have a Facebook page. Congrats to us. Forward slash LD Taxonomy. You can also, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. That's the best way to listen to us. Because you can take our episodes on the go and learn from wherever. Your car, your job, a park. Is if you're at the park, go get some tardigrades, by the way. <laughs> um, is there anything we should remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> tagline um there's nothing that is certain except life death and taxonomy You're still here? Well, this week's episode is over. Carlos already left. I'm just sitting here listening to the sounds of Pongo Pygmaeus rubbing its legs together. Anyway, this week's episode is over, but if you're looking for more podcasts, why don't you head over to your local podcasting app, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever you got, and subscribe. Just type in Life, Death, and Taxonomy into the search bar for more interesting animal info. Besides, Pongo Pygmaeus is a kind of orangutan. I was just kidding earlier. If you thought it was a cricket, you definitely need to be listening to more LDT. Wait, did you hear that? Oh, okay, so that is an orangutan. Uh, I'm out of here. Uh, see you in the next video.